Well, we're going to start our series off in the book of 1 Timothy, beginning in verse 1. And we're just going to read the chapter or the passage together. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father of Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, the beauty of episode four is that there's no confusion between good and what is bad. The empire is this self-serving, oppressive force striving through immoral means to exert its authority to rule the galaxy. Well, the rebels, on the other hand, well, they're those who are determined to stand. Stand up for what's right, fight against tyranny, even if it means paying the ultimate price it's a beautiful thing good versus evil you know there's no doubt in your mind whose side you should be on and even that guy who was in it just for the money he eventually figures it out and he fights for good for good reasons but you know what may be so clear in star wars is not so clear in real life is it It's not as clear. In fact, we're hearing voices that are shouting at us all day long. And doesn't that make it hard to figure out which voice you should be listening to? It feels like we're spinning around in circles as they come at us from every angle. How do you know which ones to listen to? How do you know which ones are important and which ones are not? Is it just a matter of preference? Do I just listen to the voice that sounds the best in my ear? Is it just a personal thing? Or is there actually some legitimate, some concrete right and wrong? There's an ongoing war that's raging in our world. It's a war of ideas. There's an author, Richard M. Weaver. In 1948, he wrote a book that he titled, Ideas Have consequences isn't that true 
Ideas matter. Ideas have consequences. And you might be saying, yeah, you know, some ideas have bigger consequences than others. And you're exactly right. The idea that eating a, um, a bowl of Cheerios is, is a heart-healthy choice, that may not make the biggest difference in your life. I mean, you could decide to eat a piece of whole wheat toast instead, or maybe an organic protein shake, and you know, does it really matter when all is said and done? But on the other hand, the idea that eating a bowl full of Carolina Reapers is part of a heart-healthy diet, well, that's a different idea entirely with far different effects that it's going to take on your body, right? In my case, it'd probably, probably put me in the hospital. In my sensitive stomach? Chili peppers are one thing. They were one thing. But some ideas have even bigger consequences. What about, what about the idea that rose to popularity in the 1930s? That, that there's one particular race that's responsible for all of Germany's social and political and economic and even ethical problems. What about that idea? And what about the consequences that came from that idea? Ideas have consequences, don't they? And some consequences are bigger than others. As we begin our study in the book of First Timothy, really the letter of First Timothy, the very first thing that's addressed is this this idea that ideas are important. They're very important, and the important ones need to be protected. They need to be guarded. The title of our series in First Timothy, it's The Good Fight. And we titled that for a couple, a couple different reasons. One, the, the, the author, the apostle Paul, he tells its recipient this, this youngish mild-mannered, half-Jew, half-Greek ministry partner named Timothy, he tells him to fight the good fight as he gives leadership to the church in Ephesus. That's one of the reasons we called it the good fight. And the other reason is because the idea that the church is built upon and that it's called to spread out into the world, that idea is in direct opposition to the idea that the rest of the world operates under. There's a, there's a tension there. There's conflict. There's a fight. In fact, it's the oldest, it's the biggest, and most, most important fight that there has ever been. And it's the one with ultimate consequences and rewards. In an ancient garden, a garden of unparalleled beauty, such as the world has never since known the battle for ideas began. Which way is best? God's way or my way? As someone might say, <laughs> that's so simple. It's so simple. It's almost an innocent question. And yet the consequences of answering the wrong way would make the destruction of Alderaan... Let's keep this in the real world, actually. It, 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 it would make the downward turn and even potential fall of our nation seem somewhat small in comparison. If what the Bible says is true, 
then the decision to walk away from a good creator and go our own way, well, that signed the eternal fate of not just two people, not just a family, not just a nation, not just a generation, but all people for all time. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Paul says in Romans 3.23. He says the wages of sin is death in 6.23. This is a big deal. My way over God's way, this is an idea that has consequences that are far greater than economic downturn. More than the collapse of social norms or life as we know it. Or even life and death. This idea has monumental consequences parallel to none the bible talks about it again and again and again we don't like to talk about this it makes people feel uncomfortable but when something's addressed as many times as this is it kind of begs our attention let's just look at a few times the bible addresses this in matthew 18 jesus says that the punishment for turning against god that's a one-way ticket to a place of eternal fire. Daniel 12 calls it a place of everlasting contempt. Matthew 25, 31, eternal punishment. Mark 9, 42, a place where the worm does not die and fire is not quenched. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5, the punishment of eternal destruction. Jude 7, a punishment of of eternal fire jude 13 these people these are the people for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever revelation 14 9 it's a place where people will be tormented with fire and sulfur and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night and then revelation 20 14 this is the second death the lake of fire. Ideas matter. Ideas have consequences. And if the Bible is right, and we have very good reason to believe that it is, then the worst idea ever ever made was the idea to go our own way. Some might say, well, whoever made that decision was really stupid. Yeah, well, get ready to feel really stupid. The reality is that pointing fingers and casting blame on someone who made that decision a long time ago, well, that's pretty much self-defeating. Because as we've already mentioned, the Bible says we're all in the same boat. All have made this decision. All have sinned. Not only does it say that, but it says in Isaiah 53 that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Do you remember do you remember when you were a kid? I mean a little 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 kid and you talked with each other about what animal you would want to be. And there's a, there's that kid who says, "Well, I want to be a lion." And someone says, "I want to be a bear." And I want to be a leopard. And then there's that random kid who says, "Well, I want to be a shark." And you're like, "That's not really an animal." They come up with all these different things, all these aggressive, majestic animals that they would like to be. Whenever I was involved in those conversations, though, I never recall, never once someone saying, you know, what I would like to be more than anything else is a sheep. 
I, I, they're, they're big, they're dumb, they're fluffy, this defenseless animal that makes one of the most annoying sounds on earth. And they get so focused, so focused on, on grazing, on eating their grass, so distracted that, that, that they don't notice where they're heading. They could wander right off of a cliff. That's what I want to be. I want to be a sheep. Yeah, you guys can pretend you're jaguars and T-Rexes all you want. I'm going to be a sheep. No one says that. No one wants to be a sheep. And yet the Bible tells us we're all like sheep. We're like sheep that have wandered away from the good shepherd and have gotten ourselves into the worst predicament possible. I had a conversation with a friend last week. He's a Navy SEAL. Now he's actually a medical doctor. And as we talked about what's going on in our world, we just started lamenting over the mess that we see. There's so much mess. And, and, and I think, I think that it's kind of a universally recognized fact that this is messy that we're in, whatever angle you approach it from. Who would have thought that America, the great experiment, the freedom nation for which so many of our forefathers fought, even bled for, gave their lives for, is now at a point where it seems to be eating itself alive. And yet, if, if we take the Bible at face value and we believe it to be true, should we really be all that surprised? Should it come as a shock to us when we see this happening? As we take a close, hard look, we see that just like any human institution, it's inherently flawed because it's made up of people, people who have wandered away like sheep from their maker. And they've exchanged truth for lies and love for hate and generosity for selfishness and a good for evil. Yes, our nation is at a critical moment in its history, but we need to see that this crisis is only a symptom of something much bigger, something that goes much deeper, something that is far more devastating and impacts every aspect of life. What a monumental mistake that has been made as people bought in to an idea changed everything but you know there's another idea there's another idea that changes everything again it's an idea that would bring life instead of death freedom instead of slavery hope instead of despair another idea you might be feeling alone right now you might be feeling discouraged you might feel like hope is fading maybe depression is beginning to set in but the good news is is that there is real lasting change inducing difference making hope to a world facing eternal consequences jesus said God so loved the world. Yeah, he loved this world, this messy world with all these people that have wandered their own way and are doing all kinds of things to hurt each other and hurt the world. Yes, 
God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal death? No. Eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world like we would all expect Him to. Returning back to the world He created that was good. See the mess? You would expect Him to send His Son and His Son would just say, Hey, hello, I'm starting over here. We're putting a stop to this and we're going to make the world a better place again. No, He didn't come to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, according to the Bible, there is only one way to right the wrongs. There's only one way to escape that eternal punishment that comes from turning away from the God that has made you. There's only one way to be brought back into a good relationship with your maker for that relationship to be restored there's only one way for unity amongst human beings to be restored only one way to have your destiny shift from eternal judgment to eternal reward and that is through trust and reliance on jesus christ who gave his life as a substitute in your place Dying the death that you and I should have died so that you might be made alive and by, might be given the hope of heaven. This is the gospel of glory that Paul talks about in verse 11 here. It's the, the gospel because it truly is good news. In fact, it's the, it's the news of all news, the best news ever, the most important news anyone could ever hear. It's the gospel. Gospel means good news. It is definitely good news, but it's also glorious because it gives glory. It gives all the credit where credit is due. It gives it to God. You know, all the other religions in the world, they try to... They try to point to accomplishment by human beings. Somehow, human beings have the onus, they have the responsibility to fix the mess that they are in. And so, by working harder, or by by doing this, or by doing that, somehow we're going to restore our relationship with God. But Christianity says, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Only God accomplishes it. It's what He did, not what you did. And because of that, it's glorious. He looks glorious because He does it all. Ideas matter. Ideas have consequences. And the idea of the gospel of glory is an idea that's far and away better than all the other ideas. And this is the idea that the church is entrusted with. It's the idea that the people who have trusted in Jesus are commanded to share. Jesus said, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And this is the idea that at all costs must never be altered, must never be adjusted, must never be added to, and never be subtracted from. And that's why Paul is so adamant in his church to Timothy here. As I urged you, When I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach 
any different doctrine, that word translated charge, it really means uh, command. This is not a request. Paul is saying, you got to do this. Timothy, your first job as you watch over this church is to make sure that the sacred idea is in your crosshairs. People will try to throw you off course. They're going to try to distract others. They're going to try to get them to believe something different. Don't let that happen. Stay on target. Now, Paul had anticipated that this was going to happen. He told the elders in the church of Ephesus way back in Acts 20, he said, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. Paul knew that there was going to come a time when things were not so clear-cut for the Ephesians. There was going to come a day when false teachers, they were going to rise up and they were going to spread their twisted ideas. In fact, he anticipated that this was going to not just happen from the outside, as you might expect, it was going to happen from the inside as well. From people that were part of the, the church, part of that, that community. You've heard of sleeper cells? A sleeper cell, a group of people with this hidden agenda who blend in with everyone else until just the right moment or until they get the opportunity or they get the order and then they pounce. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 5, Beware of false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the, distressed, the diseased tree bears bad fruit. These people, they aren't always easy to spot. They look innocent at first, but their work is destructive. It's so harmful. And one of the ways that you can recognize them is by the fruit that they produce. That's what Paul is telling Timothy in verse 4. 1 Timothy 1.4 Their teachings promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And that word speculations, it can also mean controversies. It's bad fruit. Ever had bad fruit? It, it, it looks terrible. It smells terrible. It tastes terrible. It stinks. Rather than lead people to a greater confidence and trust in God and His promises, the, the things that these people were teaching was encouraging doubt. It was producing disunity. In contrast to the teachers of, uh, of, of, of these things, the teaching of the gospel has, has an effect that, that builds. It builds up people's faith in God. Being made right with God, it leads, leads people to live lives of, of obedience to God. And they become, as, as Paul says here, good stewards of, of this incredible gift that they've been given. And, and they now live lives that show it. Their lives are transformed because they've believed the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will what? It will set you free. So they're out there. And they're walking around. And they're thinking less of what people think of them 
and they're going around trying to bring good to others. They care less about what they can get out of life. Oh, I'm going to make friends with him, and you know, maybe I'll get a little something from you know, his, uh, you know, his business over. No, 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 they're not thinking that. They've already been given the greatest gift ever, so they're looking to see what they can give. They're thinking they need to cower less behind closed doors in fear. Why do they need to be fearful? Their future in Christ is secure. So they're they're actively out there. They're seeking people out, looking to share the best idea ever. Paul says in verse 5, the aim of our charge, the apostles' charge, the church's charge, is they steward the best idea. The aim of our charge is love. That's what we want to produce. Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's what it produces. It produces love. That's because it changes people from the inside out. It changes the motives of their heart from being self-focused and twisted to now being pure and desiring only good for others. They don't have ulterior motives anymore, at least not as many of them. They're They're not seeking to serve themselves. They have good motives. The good news, it also takes away their guilt. They have nothing to hide anymore. They have a good conscience. And because of that, they can love others freely. In the good news, it makes them sincere. They know they're no longer pretending to be something that they're not. They're trying to prove to others that they're better than they actually are. In fact, they're, they're the first to say, hey, I'm just a sinner. I deserve the harshest punishment of them all. But look, I've been given grace And you can experience that grace too. They have a sincere faith. This is some of the good fruit that the gospel produces. And what these false teachers were producing, well, it was the opposite. What were they teaching? Paul doesn't go into great detail here. Not a lot of detail, but we know it was something different than what the apostles were teaching. It was a different doctrine. Now, the apostles, they were were chosen, they were called, they were appointed, they were equipped, they were authorized directly by Jesus. They're the ones whom Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to be given. They were going to receive the Holy Spirit. He was going to communicate to them God's truth. John 14, 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but... The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. They're teaching, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.20, it's the foundation upon which the church is built. But what these false teachers were now teaching was something completely different. For in 1 Timothy Verse 4, Paul mentions they devote themselves to something. They devote themselves to myths and to endless genealogies. Now, we don't know exactly what those were, but it's possible, and some scholars believe that it was related to two Jewish documents, the Book of Jubilees and the Biblical Antiquities of Philo, which probably wasn't written by Philo. In both of these documents, they give, they give alternate accounts or embellished accounts of the history that took place 
um, in Jewish antiquity. One looks at uh, the, the time period between creation and the giving of the law, Mount Sinai, that's the book of Jubilees. And the other one looks at uh, from Adam to the death of King Saul. And they give these embellishments, like I said. And they, they give this, they also provide these, um, these genealogies. They provide these extensive genealogies of these previous men of faith. And it's possible that what these Ephesian teachers were doing was scouring these extra-biblical texts and looking for special insights and letting the people know that, oh yeah, you, you study, you study uh, the, the, the Old Testament, but let me tell you, there's so much more to be gained. Oh, your eyes will be so opened if only you read these texts as well. And then you'll see that it, it's a whole different scenario here, a whole different picture of reality. And that is the way you're really going to be enlightened. That's the way you're really going to be saved. Another clue is what Paul says in verse 6 here. 1 Timothy 1.6, he says, Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. These people, they were desiring to be teachers of the Jewish law. But Paul says they're just wandering away into worthless discussions. They're speaking confidently, but having no real understanding of what they're really talking about. Have you met someone like that? People in the church? They're flaunting their knowledge, and they're making mountains out of molehills. They're distracting people from what's really important, leading them to spend countless hours searching and discussing and analyzing and debating rather than worshiping and serving and sharing and loving. I know some guys who grew up in the church. They grew up in my youth group. They did all the things that that we did and sang all those songs and learned all those things. And I, I believe they really loved God. They don't go to church anymore. They're not helping others grow in their relationship with Christ. What they are doing is getting together in a small circle of friends, and they're smoking their pipes, and they're drinking their fancy drinks, and they are debating. They're debating these little tidbits here and there. And, and they say, you know, we don't need church anymore. In fact, all those people at church, they're just, they're just like these dumb sheep. They're just, they're just following blindly the Bible, listening to what the pastor says. They're singing these songs, and they're going through all these motions. But we're the enlightened ones. We're the ones who are really debating and really coming to the deep knowledge here. And what are they producing? It's not good. They're not serving anyone. They're not sharing the gospel. In fact, they're becoming angry and becoming bitter and becoming proud and divisive. This isn't good. It's, it's, it's not only a waste of time, but it's destructive. And this is the reason Paul's command to Timothy is so strong. What these people are doing is destructive. It's leading people away from trusting Jesus and toward trusting themselves. That's what verses 8 through 11 really clue us in on. Paul writes, "Not," uh, he says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully in other words there's nothing wrong with the law that god gave us 
It's a good thing. The law helps us understand more fully the way God designed us to live life. There's nothing wrong with teaching law so long as you use it properly. And this is where we get the biggest indication of where these teachers were going wrong. He says this in verse 9. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. You see, the way these false teachers were most likely using the law was to use it to show how good they were. It was for the just. And either they were convincing people that if you study it hard enough, you can unlock these secrets of the genealogies or these myths, or they're convincing people to follow it so strictly, the strictest detail, that if you do that, you can be made right with God. In their minds, the law was for the just. It was for those who wanted to be the true righteous, the extra holy, as if there is such a thing. The ones who were really acceptable to God. And it's similar to what the Pharisees did, isn't it? They believed they could be made right with God by perfectly following the law. If If the law is God's prescription for how the ideal person looks, well, then I'm going to follow it to the letter, and then God's going to be pleased with me. Me and God, we are good. If I don't get it right, well, at least I'm better than those losers over there who aren't even really trying. Again, we get a whiff of what this kind of teaching produces, don't we? But what's worse is that it leads people to believe something that simply isn't true. That people can work their way to God. They can be justified by their works in the law. Galatians 2.16 tells us, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law. And then in Romans 3.20 tells us, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his, in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin you can't be made right with god by following the law you just can't do it because one of the main things that the law does is show you that you don't measure up it shows you how poorly actually you measure up you fail that's what Paul is saying here in First uh, Timothy 1.9. The more you look at the law, the more you realize how badly you have broken it. The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. The law is for lawbreakers. That's who it's for. Paul lists off all kinds of examples here. And some are more extreme than others. His point is not to say, well, these are the few people that the law is really for. It's for these really, really bad people. No, no, no. His point is that it's for everybody because everyone has fallen short. All fall short of the glory of God, just like he tells us in Romans. He says at the end here, he says, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In any deviation here from God's standard of perfection, well, that's who the law is for. It's to show them that they've turned away like sheep. They don't measure up. They can't measure up. And of course, our natural tendency is to look at the law and say, well, you know, well, I, I may, not, may not follow it perfectly, but at least I don't do that. Not like that guy. 
And like children, we start to compare ourselves, trying to make ourselves feel better and make other people feel worse. We use the law to prop ourselves up and to put others down. But Paul lumps everyone into the same pot here. And he's good reason for that. That's because the falling short of God's standard, it has the same ultimate consequence regardless of the degree to which you fail to measure up. You might fail a lot, and you might fail just a little, but either way, you failed. The proper use of the lot points you to the original bad idea. It points you to the fact that all have sinned. It points you to the fact that when when humanity said, we're going to do it our way rather than God's way, that was the worst idea ever. It points us to the original bad idea for a good reason. Not so that we would be hopeless. Not so that we would self-condemn. But so that we might realize our need for the best idea. The best idea. That's why Paul says in verse 11 that all of this is in accordance with the gospel of glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And you can tell yourself that it isn't true. You can tell yourself that you can measure up to the letter of the law. You can try to convince yourself that you can be good enough to earn God's approval on your own, but that would just be deceiving yourselves. Like we read in 1 John 1 8, if, if, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And that's what was happening here in the church in Ephesus. People were teaching something different than the gospel and deceiving people into thinking that they could be good enough on their own. And in Paul's mind, that's the absolute worst thing that you could possibly do, that you could possibly be guilty of, because this doesn't doesn't have temporal consequences. It's not just going to get people sick. It's not just, people aren't just going to die because of it, but they are going to face an eternity of punishment because of this. And he wrote in Galatians 1.8, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, if it's anything different, let him be accursed. As we've said before, So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, he's basically just repeating himself here for emphasis. Let him be accursed. This is serious. Why? Because ideas matter. Ideas have consequences. And to lead people to believe anything other than that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only way for you to be restored to your maker. To lead them to believe anything other than that is to lead them to their eternal doom. So Paul urges Timothy to guard the ideas Call them out. Command these people to stop. Even if it means hurting their feelings. I'm sure he would have added that. 
Even if it means making waves, at all costs, the church must stay on target. Hold fast to the big idea. Protect the preaching of the good news. Have you believed the good news? Have you embraced the best idea? If you haven't, I pray that you will. Because the eternal consequences, those are real. Those are real. I want to encourage you. Acknowledge your sin. Confess your need. Trust that Jesus paid for your sins as He gave His life for you and for me on that cross some 2,000 years ago. And then let Him who rose from the grave give you new life. And give you hope that is eternal. You look around, see the world in a state of ruin, in a state of mess. There's not much hope there. In fact, don't trust in any hope that people are trying to sell you. The only hope, the only true hope, the only lasting hope is the hope that you will find in Jesus Christ. Would you turn to him now? Would you trust him now? If you have already trusted in Christ, are you holding tightly to that good news? Or have you allowed myths and genealogies and fancy in-depth studies that the lure of some special secret knowledge sway you from the truth? If so, what has it been producing in your life? Do you find yourself growing in Christ-likeness, in selflessness, in love? Are you finding yourself less prone to get offended? Less concerned about defending your rights and more eager to actually lay down your life for the glory of God and the good of others? If not, then you need to check what you believe. What are you trusting in? Begin making the good news of Jesus your central point of focus. Say no to speculation. Say no to controversies. And let the price that Jesus paid for you and the forgiveness that you you found in Him, let that develop in you a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. A war is raging. Ideas have consequences, and the good fight is worth fighting. It's worth fighting. Let's hold fast to the gospel of Jesus and stay on target. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you and we confess, Lord, our great need. Lord, all of us have bought into the bad idea We just started off life living for ourselves, going our own way. And Lord, thank you for your word that opens our eyes to the fact that that is absolutely the wrong way. There's no no murkiness here. It is clear. Lord, rescue us from that. Thank you for Jesus Christ who gave his life for us that we might be washed clean and forgiven, given the hope of eternal life 
No longer eternal punishment is our destiny, Lord. We have a future in paradise with you. Thank you, Lord. May that continue to be our central point of focus. And Lord, as we trust in your gospel and hold tightly to it, would you produce in us good fruit? Make us look and taste and smell like Jesus all the more each and every day so that a a world in great need might see Christ in us and come to embrace the best idea for themselves. We love you and pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.